Hi everyone, I'm April. And I'm Christine. Before we get started, we wanted to warn you that the following content contains adult language, activities, and violence, and may not be suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Southern Discomfort. This is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. Southern tales of the weird, wild, mysterious, unusual, voodoo, Voodoo. cryptids, hauntings. Are you intrigued yet? This is Southern Discomfort. Southern Discomfort. And now, your hosts, April and Christine. Welcome back, y'all. You're listening to Southern Discomfort. I'm April. And I'm Christine. And what do we have on tap for the drink du jour tonight? So I have Southern Prohibition Brewings Devil's Harvest. It's a breakfast IPA. Um, It's actually really good. Like, I'm not so much... uh, a beer drinker anymore, but this one has really nice uh, grapefruit, I guess. Yeah, that's- flavor, tones, whatever. I'm not really a beer connoisseur. <laughs> um, I typically like lager. Lager's my go to. Okay. Uh, IPA, not so much, but this one's really good. It's my favorite. That's my go-to beer. Like, that is my favorite beer. And then So Pro, of course, being a brewery in Mississippi. Um, and that's going to be a nod to our topic tonight, but I've tried to find Mississippi Fire Ant by Southern Prohibition, and that would be the perfect beer to pair with this. Yeah, it would have been. But, um, you know, good luck trying to find that now, and also trying to find another beer with Mississippi or from Mississippi, because we're talking about a dry state, still considered a dry state and 30 31 of its 82 counties are still dry well did you see the recent legislation um the governor um did away with all that it it, did as of 2021 i think statewide there won't be any dry counties right and it shouldn't be it's like 90 years since prohibition but um that was just my point like so much of it's been dry for so long. Yeah, good luck trying to find find that. But well, I remember the struggle of trying to buy beer or liquor growing up in dry <laughs> counties. Oh yeah, well we lived ten miles. You know, of course we we grew up in Mississippi, but we lived ten miles from the Louisiana state line. And at that time, we'll date ourselves here, but at that time it was eighteen was the um, legal drinking age. So we could just scoot on down and and bootleg. Yeah, that was super easy for us. I guess it was spending time in Jackson. Um, After high school graduation, friends went to Mississippi College, and that is a Baptist-based university. And to boot, the county was dry, so it was quite a challenge um, back in the day. Yes, but um, I found... For my drink du jour, I found a beer called Juicy, J-U-C-E-E. 
It's a juicy beer, Louisiana Pale Ale, and it's from the Flying Tiger Brewery. Flying Tiger. But this is so it's Louisiana Pale Ale. It is, and it's from a brewery in Monroe. But this story also has ties to Monroe. Yeah, that's that's yeah. pretty brilliant. Yeah, so. I think we've got it covered. Um, I don't think Devil's Harvest could be any more appropriate for tonight's case. Um, and it also epitomizes discomfort. So you've already gotten our disclosure um, yeah. regarding the content. But this is something that I feel needs to continue to be talked about. We don't need to stop talking about it. And um, I'll just dive right in. Okay, I agree. On, on Saturday night, December 6, 2014, around 8 p.m., 19-year-old Jessica Chambers is burned alive inside her car. And this is on a rural road in Cortland, Mississippi. So a little bit after eight, two men passing by see the car engulfed in flames and they call it in. And it's obvious to them, as well as first responders, that this is not a car accident. Yeah. So first responders, actually the first first responder on the scene reports seeing the car first and then a figure emerge from the woods 30 to 40 feet from the car across the road. It's a female only in her underwear, severely burned with fried hair, and she was uttering, help me, with her arms outstretched. Yeah, I saw where she... They said that she had 98% of her body burned. And I was wondering, how how do you know, like, 90... I've always wondered that, too. Like, how much percentage... Yeah, you know, I'm sure they have a, a formula for that. But then I saw everything was burned on her except for the bottom of her feet. Okay. Well, so... And I... Actually, I can't... I have that um, in my notes. So, this... Dr. Hickerson at the burn center in Memphis, which is where she's airlifted to, um, I believe said the only parts of her body that were spared were, as you said, the bottom of her feet, her perineal genitalia yeah. and her buttocks. Wow. Which... And she's only in her underwear and the bottoms of her feet are spared. So the, um, the assumption is that she was in a seated sitting, position. Sitting down. Yeah, that's what I would imagined. Yeah. Like in a so, car. Um. That's like, yeah. With an accelerant of some yes, kind. Yes, so she had been doused with an accelerant, and it had also been poured down her throat. And her nose. They yeah. did oh. tests on um, her airways, and they were not only burned from the fire they had chemical burns too okay that's how they knew that I wonder that as well I didn't come across that so 
they described her, one first responder described her as she looked like a zombie from The Walking Dead and that she was wow. communicating. Right. He set me on fire. And yeah. another responder said she asked for water or said she was thirsty. One of the two. Oh my gosh. Okay. And Imagine. one of them asked her baby girl who did this to you and heard her say Eric. Yeah. So there were, I think there were about 15 first responders on the scene. Eight of them heard Eric. One of them said it could have been Derek. Yes. And so they laid her on her side and covered her with a blanket because she was, naked and exposed and they wanted to well first of all they'd never seen anything like this right i, I mean and, i can't even imagine you know, this is, these are not typical burns they've never seen anything quite like this and the first thing that they did was act out of compassion and want to give her some sort of um some sort of protection and yeah. comfort. And if that was even possible, I, you know, who knows? Yeah. yeah. I, I, I saw where she had a gash on her head too. Cause I was wondering yeah. what, if anything, um, uh, if there was any evidence, which we can talk about later to, um, why I was wondering this, but if the burns, when you burn your body, that's your body gets burned, that severe, does that cover up any evidence of, um, of uh, like torture or beating? Or yeah, they did say yeah, they had well, the gash in her obviously head. Obviously, I'm not an expert on that, but I think the answer to that is yes, because her. So, and again, you know, I'll I'll g get into this too. But so, when I first pulled up pictures the first thing that came to my mind was, okay, I saw the deep red burns like Ooh, on her face, that. the charred areas, her, her upper, like her chest and her, the tops of her thighs. It was mm -hmm. the deep red. And then I was like, but the rest of her body looks normal. Oh, it, see, I didn't even like, see pictures. It okay. like, it looks like normal skin. Okay. And as in flesh color, normal. Well, it almost looks like a tan. Oh, wow. And I did see where it was third, second and third degree. So maybe those were the varying, the varying degrees of burns. Wow. Okay. Well, so there's first degree, which is sunburn, okay. basically, is a sunburn. And then there's the second and the third degree are probably what those deep red mm. spots are. But the spots that at first look like normal skin or tanned skin are deep dermal burns, which okay. means they've gone all the way through the okay. skin. Wow. Mm. And you have this tanning or leathering mm -hmm. effect that, that happens at that point. Okay. And that, to me, lends to the zombie-like uh, right yeah posturing right and then so, probably no hair i'm sure hair burned off yeah like one person said her hair looked like she had put literally put 
her finger in a light socket. Yeah. Wow. And had been electrocuted. So, you know, this is, it's like I told you when I was researching it, you know, only one word came to mind and it was just heinous. Yeah. Horrific. And yeah. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. I keep trying to imagine them putting a blanket on her and that makes me cringe because I think, oh my gosh, how does that even feel? You have no skin. There's nothing, no barrier to protect you from anything that you touch or touches you. No. I just can't even imagine that. And so this first responder, this, this young guy, he actually knew Jessica, but he obviously didn't recognize her. Wow. So she was asked her name and they said it sounded like Jessica Thambers. Okay. Which yeah. obviously, you know, again with the enunciation and once he realized that he knew her but didn't recognize her, he would, it really affected him in, in a just really horrible way. Right. And then that, I can, I guess I, I can kind of picture that because if there's evidence that accelerant was poured down her nose and her throat and her mouth, you know, then your that area is going to burn. And it, I saw where it burned her lips off and all of that in her mouth going down her esophagus area. So then you wouldn't be able to form that that ch sound for you know chambers in her name. Right. So, yeah. and that's like when they said, some, you know, some people said she asked for water. Another person said she said she was thirsty. So, oh, okay. Yeah. You know, so there's, there's hard again, the issues with, with enunciation. And of course, it's amazing. Down the road, they get into all that. Um, it's amazing that she was talking and then even walking at first. Like, I, that just is a. It's hard for me to imagine that the um, amount of pain or then are you like, are all your, your endorphins kicked in at that point? And and then and you has sh- your body reached a point of not feeling anything right. anymore? Is that a thing? I don't know. Yeah. Right. But just that, that amount of like will to live and that strength is amazing. It's pretty incredible because, you know, I can't even imagine what must have been going through her mind. You know? uh, yeah, right. Because she was aware. Yeah, she was aware of what had happened. Absolutely. And you know, just like you said, just that 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 sort of strength comes from deep, deep, deep within. Yes. A fighter. So, for sure. and so we're talking about. Cortland, Mississippi, which is in Panola County. It's North Mississippi, um, situated in the Delta. This is the Northwest section of Mississippi between the Mississippi River and the Yazoo River. So it's essentially, it's a floodplain. Okay. And, and then I just want to point out too, and I know you'll get to this, but we're, so we're talking about Mississippi with, um, of course it's known to be just no opportunity the last when it comes to education and uh, economic opportunity. And, and that is exactly how you could describe 
you know, North Mississippi, you know, because oh, we're, talking about, sure. we're talking about the poorest state in the nation and the poorest area because most of the population is Jackson and below. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and Mississippi's super sparsely populated, period. Right, right. Even in the metro area of Jackson and, and South, it's it's super sparsely populated. Right. Yeah. Um, I think most of the, I guess, opportunities for work would be farming. Yeah, right. Um, I did see that... Um... And you, and you might have this in your notes. I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead of you, but I saw where Cortland had about 460, 500 people. Um, there's the nearby Batesville, mm-hmm. which is a few miles away, that has a little bit more of a population with 7,000-ish. And I believe there's a uh, there's an aviation plant of some sort there, so that provides some jobs, jobs. you know, there, yeah. Just yeah, to kind so, of give you an idea, if you're kind of picturing, you know, there's not much up there. Well, and I'm glad you brought that up because, so this is basically just a small community of less than 500 people. Right. And just to break it out a little bit, because this is going to become apparently very um, notable in the case, it's. In the 2010 census um, has 64.5% white, 35.43% black, and 1.3% Hispanic and Latino. I have a question. So that gives you an idea of the demographic. Have you ever been up there? I've never been to Panola County. Actually, I think I've been through it. <laughs> I've never been <laughs> there, ever. Never stopped. Yeah, I was just curious. I don't think I've ever asked you that. I've never been, I've never been up there. Well, okay, so maybe didn't go through it, but I want to say that it is not far from I fifty five on your way to Memphis. Okay, all right. I've I been believe to, I've been to Memphis several times, but I just don't even. I think well, I've just skirted it on the the border, not actually yeah. going up through. I think yeah. me too. So, and <laughs> side note, about, it's about an hour south of Memphis and to the east, about 30 miles, you have um, Oxford, Mississippi, which is where the University of Mississippi or Ole Miss is located. <laughs> we had to be nice. Uh, we had to be nice. <laughs> We're going to be nice. <laughs> be nice. <laughs> We've never um, been Ole Miss fans ever. <laughs> uh, so there's a super high per, per capita churches rate, too, in this area. Um, so, uh, you know, essentially there's plenty of churches uh, to accommodate the population. And this community is very typical of the Southern culture regarding football and faith. So football on Friday and Saturday nights, you know, you have high school and SEC or, you know, unless yeah. you're not from the area, you may <laughs> read, or you went to school, uh, uh, you know, right. <laughs> elsewhere. 
but it's typically high school and SEC football, and then faith on Sunday. Everybody's in church, right? Yeah. Um, what else are you gonna do? Everybody. So I mean, and we can relate to absolutely that culture for sure. Um, yes, where yeah. we are, but that's just very typical of Southern culture, I think, overall. And Jessica was a junior high and a high school cheerleader, so very often in the media, you come across her cheerleading pictures. Her one looks like a graduation photo. Um, and around 15 or 16 years old, Jessica, when she was 15 or 16, she lost her older brother tragically in a car accident. Wow. And many of her family and friends say, you know, this sort of sent her, it spurred her into this rebellious phase where she lost interest in school and cheering and started smoking weed and eventually decided to drop out of high school. Yeah. That's a formidable year for sure. Which, 15, you know, 16. That's, that's not uncommon right. for kids that age no, in and, Mississippi right and then you're growing up into um you know a, just an area that has very little economic opportunity as it is so and most people are below the poverty line so there's right. no there's no opportunity there's no um nothing to look forward to to aspire to be really or um and that's not saying that the people out there are, or anything's wrong with them. That no. We're just trying to kind of paint the picture of uh, what life is, is like and, and what's yeah, like there's, for Jessica. There's not, you know, beyond the select kids that do go on to college um, or into, I guess, um, allied sciences, like, RN and or either community college even you know if you don't do that there's there's really not much opportunity right yeah I did see there's a hospital I think it was it is it Batesville they have a a hospital there a small hospital yeah okay yeah so there's there's the um some healthcare opportunity as well well and she actually wanted to go back to school to become an RN so she had aspirations of going back to school. Wow. Okay. Um, she did at one point have a job. Uh, I'm not sure where, but I saw it was a retail uh, clothing store. A what store? A retail um, clothing store. Yeah, okay. I think it was because in the Oxygen documentary that I watched, her sister said that Jessica was just a really super thoughtful person and um, contacted her like right around the time of her murder and wanted to know what size her kids wore because she wanted to get her some shirts for the kids that they were on sale at the place where she worked. Wow. So she sounds like, you know, she was a very sweet aunt and plugged in to, the littles, which, you know, right. is close to my chest. You can relate. I can relate to that. Um, but, you know, so some say that she also delved into 
meth and cocaine and she allegedly was selling marijuana at one point. Um, She had gone to a 30 day program, I guess, inpatient to try to get her life together. Um, Yeah. And that goes back to no opportunities. Right. But it also shows that, you know, whether it was her idea or not to go into this treatment program, you know, she was willing, she was willing to do it. She was willing to try to better herself. So, yeah, I think, you know, it has a lot to do with being disadvantaged socioeconomically. Right. Well, that's very good. Very good, Jessica. So she lived with her mom. Um, Her parents were divorced, but they actually lived on the same road. Um, They had an amicable relationship. Her father was remarried and had a younger child, her little sister. Her name was Annabelle. And so back to the day of, she uh, was with her friend Keisha. She went to pick up Keisha that morning and had another person with her. It was this guy, Quentin Tellis. Okay. They rode around, and this is based on uh, Keisha's statements and then Quentin's, but they rode around and smoked. She dropped both of them off back at home. Uh, I think, I think she dropped, uh, I can't remember who she dropped off first, but then she went home to take a nap and her mom said that later in the day, she got a call or a text and left her house again, closer to 5 PM. Okay. And this is, this is December. What's the day that this happened? Oh, because I was like taking a nap. That must be so nice. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I do remember those days though, but this was, um, I guess around the holidays. Yeah. December the 6th. Yeah. So the school. after Thanksgiving before Christmas, hustle and bustle is probably full out, you know? Yeah. I guess it could have been a weekend. I didn't look that up though. Or maybe it was a Saturday. So oh, maybe a day off. Yeah. You know? Okay. Um, I'm going to cut her some slack there. I do. <laughs> I do love some naps though. So I'm not going to lie. Right. So, and okay, so going back to this community, there's a convenience store on the highway called M&M um, that it's actually the highway that goes to Batesville. Um, but it's central to the story and it's central to the community because it's basically like a meetup place. It's um, well, a yeah. hangout. It's, you know, everybody goes there to buy their gas snacks. Yeah, um, that's, you know, it probably served as like a grocery store too because, you know, I yeah. lived in a place that had 800 people in this place. And that's twice as big as this place, it sounds like. And right. I know those little little stores, you know, that have absolutely everything. Well, when I say everything, they have the essentials. <laughs> Just about everything you need with that right. that you can get that you need without having to go into a bigger town. Right, yeah. And then of course that that's the I don't know how many they have there, but probably not many. So that's you, it. You can see oh, is it? Okay. That's it. That's well, the only yeah. Thing. So I can see it. that's where everybody would just kind of meet up the central mm-hmm. hub. So and it's very central to this to this story and um 
for that reason, but also because there is video surveillance and you can see Quentin Tellis's driveway from the video surveillance. It's diagonally across the highway. Okay. So you can see the driveway. You can't see beyond that, but you can see the driveway, which, and you know, I'm kind of foreshadowing right. where all of this is going. Right. Um, but so back to the day of she's airlifted to the burn center and she died about six hours later. Um, so there again, the, uh, the wherewith, not the wherewithal, what's the word I'm looking for? The, her strength, her strength and just, I get will, will to live. Yeah. For six hours and her mother's by her side when she dies and um, her father was there. He just didn't go into the room because he did. He couldn't bring himself to see her like that and didn't want to remember her like that. Yes. Which I can understand. Absolutely. I, I, I do. I've heard people say that and I totally respect that decision. So, but. But basically, you know, her mom was there when she drew her last breath. And I think that that's, that's very, um, I can't even imagine it's very gutting, but it's also very comforting knowing that, that your mother that gave you life is, is there with you when you take your last breath on earth. Like, I can't think of, you know aside from like you or Jimmy, like I can't, my husband, I can't. Yeah. I can't anybody else there. Imagine what that's like being the mom and being her mom and not even being able to do anything. Just being totally helpless. I'm sure I just, it's heartbreaking. She, she on this documentary that I watched, she said that she told Jessica, you know, it's okay if you need to go. Yeah. It's okay. And she's beat herself up over telling her that over the years. But she just wanted her to know, like, right. if you can't hold on anymore, it's okay. Yeah. And I just got full body chills. But Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, you because know, you don't want your child to suffer at all. You don't want any loved one to suffer. So that was very selfless and just uncom- unbelievably compassionate of her mother to, right. to, to tell her that. So, ugh, it's I know. just yeah. awful. This so, heavy. social media goes absolutely crazy after she dies. And, you know, internet sleuths and armchair experts. Right. Are just oh, I can like, imagine. I can imagine blowing up the socials and this is happening both locally in Mississippi and as far away as Canada. And I'm sure, you know, other countries, um, there are narratives being spun out of control, accusing just about anybody and everybody involved in her life. Um, as what always happens. Oh yeah. And, a lot of it was around the fact that Jessica's um, Jessica preferred to date black guys, 
and I didn't mention this, but she, I didn't even describe what she looks like, but she's, she's white, blonde hair, blue eyes, very pretty girl. Petite. They, they, Petite. she was a flyer for cheerleader. Yeah, she was a flyer and, um, but she prefers to date interracially. So the internet goes crazy, like saying all kinds of things about how her father, um, worked. Well, he worked as a mechanic for the sheriff's department at the time. And he did have a previous drug conviction, but the linchpin for him was, is that he did not approve of her dating outside her race and he did not make it a secret. Okay. And, you know, not for nothing, but, you know, in this documentary, he, he says, I'm not racist, but I don't want my daughter to date. And I'm like, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. if you're racist, if you but okay. But after. Yeah, no, if that's racist that you just, you just demonstrated racism. Like, don't say you're not racist. <laughs> right. Right. And that's another thing, too. Like, if you, I know that um, the social media sites had a field day with a lot of people who were interviewed on these, on the news or on, you know, the documentary and how they were being just made fun of by the, by their accent. Yes, it's a, it's a North Mississippi Southern accent. And I'm thinking, Come on now, you know, I really, I'm from Mississippi, so I just want to defend that. I just want to say not everybody who has a southern accent is equals uneducated. Right, exactly. Well, and mine, I mean, our listeners know this by now, but mine is much more pronounced than yours. Well, I think I got out a little sooner than you did. I think you did. But I mean, dang, after being gone for 20 years, it's like I still sound like this. Well, I left when I was 19. That's true. So I was still forming myself. But we always did carry dual citizenship between Mississippi and Louisiana. We always have been dual citizens. Right. (laughs) So we had one friend Um, each side. So in case you're wondering. I just got the heavy but I did move back to Mississippi and then yeah. to Tennessee for a tick. So yeah, you didn't help your cause. Didn't help the fact that I, you know, still sound like a hick. But it's true. Like, just because you sound a certain way doesn't mean necessarily that you're uneducated but when you when you I mean I I don't mean to like come at the guy but I would say this about anybody like if you say I'm not racist but I don't want my daughter dating outside of her race right okay well you're demonstrating racism right right let's get let's just call it what it is right yeah so and that's just my opinion. Yeah, and that didn't help his cause. <laughs> didn't help his cause. So the rumors that, you know, he was responsible. She did have a boyfriend at the time. Um, his name was Travis. And he was incarcerated. I'm not sure why, but um, 
you know, there were rumors flying that it was a hit put out from prison. You um, know, some people said it was gang related. Some people said that. that she was selling weed and had, you know, turned snitch for um, right because the, for because police. her dad worked for the sheriff's sheriff's department. Right. Yeah, they would. They thought because he worked there that she was a snitch. But you know, this is. It's typical, but just it's supercharged when you have social media. Absolutely. And this is such a horrific crime that went from, like, it went globally. It went internationally because it was so horrific. And so, mm-hmm. of course, that's you know, the ones that everybody, that is the kind of um, story that everybody's going to chime in on. And they have their their suspect or their, or their yeah. theory. Yeah, so you know, it's 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 basically nothing that wouldn't happen like just in the community if there were no social media, but it just, you know, because it does have that platform, it grows and has legs and, you know, reaches far and wide. Right. So a task force is put together um the sheriff's department State, uh, Mississippi Bureau of Investigation, FBI, DEA, ATF, and they are um, obviously wanting to find out, you know, who's responsible for this. And it basically starts with everyone named Eric and Derek and the county being questioned. Right. And did you come across this um, that, in the, again, I might be jumping ahead, but... That she was hanging out with someone named Eric and, or, or maybe it was Derek, but anyway, that he, that they ruled him out. He had an alibi. Did you see that? And so that's, uh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. What's his last name? Um, he actually alibi. I learned this, uh, phrase doing this research. He actually, I'm going to get to use it now. Alibied out. Oh, I saw because, that. <laughs> like, lawyered up? Because he was at home rubbing his diabetic mother's feet, and his story was corroborated by his brothers and his mother. I forget his last name, but that I know who you're talking about. Yeah, but, you know, if your family but that was enough to you. say, hey, I was at home, and my brother says I was at home, and my mom says I was rubbing her feet, so I'm good. But my family would, might, no, y'all wouldn't. Y'all drive me out, <laughs> which I <y'all> should. <laughs> y'all should drive me out, you know, please. <laughs> but I'm just thinking, if you have, if you're tight with it, I mean, I'm close with my family, but so there are some family members that, are, you know, they're ride or die. <laughs> yep, they, they and will. there are some that aren't. Right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, anyway, just take that for what it is. Just that comment. Not saying that he wasn't there. I'm just saying that if your if it's your family, that's an alibi. Mm. Mm, you know, how, how, how ironclad is that, really? Third look. Right. How iron, ironclad is that, really? It's not. It's not. <laughs> I, I was at home rubbing her feet. Like, first of all, I love my mama. <laughs> Right, as you should. 
As you should. I ain't rubbing nobody's feet. <laughs> but you know I have a... Have a weird there. thing about feet. And if I am rubbing my mom's feet, I ain't telling anybody that. That is a weird... That is... that. Now that you mention that, that is kind of strange. Like, not I was just at home and my mom and... and Watching TV with mom. Yeah. No, no. I was rubbing her feet. So that means I really was there. <laughs> No, I mean, I'm sure they were. I'm not trying to incriminate anybody on this. I'm just... I know. I'm not saying that he's guilty of anything. I'm just saying I, it's a little shaky at best. A little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Give me that. Okay, so there's, this is, mm, so here's something. There's nothing of evidentiary value in the car, obviously, because it's been completely burned. And from the beginning, the car is what is considered the crime scene by police. The area, like, immediately around the car is where the cell phone was found. Her cell phone was found in two pieces and two lighters were found. Mm. Beyond that, that's the crime scene. Yeah. That's it. But they did- don't consider... Oh, I'm sorry. You did say she was in a sitting position, so that makes sense. Yeah. In the car. So, they only consider that, and there's a fence. It almost looks like a, like a, not a, it's like one of those, oh, God. See, I sound like a hick, but I'm not from the country. I don't know, like, what things are called in the country, but it's like this. Cattle fence? I don't know what they're called. Oh, it's a fence or because you're not talking it's about a cattle. Gate, a gate. I'm sorry. A gate. <laughs> Are you serious? I told you I sound like a hick, but it's I'm truly a cattle not. Fence, but it's a gate. It's a gate. That's it. That's it. Keeps the cattle it's inside the fence. <laughs> There's an enclosure, which now that I'm saying there's a gate, obviously there's a fence. Right. And they don't, and that's on the back side of the car, and they don't ever, like, even look over there. Okay. They don't look beyond the ground outside of the car or over the fence or across the road, like, just the car. Sure. Well, there's nothing in the, there's nothing left. Right. And then, too, from what I understand, there was nothing out there. I think the nearest house was a mile away. Right. Mile, mile and a half away. And then you also have to realize, too, these small areas, they don't have much of a police force to speak right. of. Right. There's no infrastructure. Right. And they're not used to a crime like this, for sure. So, so this is just out of their wheelhouse. You know, and I'm not saying well, they did anything wrong. I'm just saying that's just something, that's just the way it is. It is what it is. Well, right. And that's a good point because they have limited resources to begin with. Right. Okay. So there isn't, there is a detective, I think his name is Dixon. Well, his superior is actually, I believe, out of town. And the one detective is phoning it in. And the guy that's not even there is, like, directing how to right. um, investigate the case. Right. And look, that little area, that little village that I told you, 
It had 800 people that lived in. Yeah. They had a police department of two people. And I that and it. of 800, like a village of 800 people. Now, I that's it. that's the I'm sure the um the sheriff's uh off you know, that's that falls under the uh, jurisdiction of the sheriff's um office. So and then you have more resources there, but how much experience do they have with right with a high crime like this? I'm sure hardly any. Right. Oh, and I forgot to mention. So the cell phone, the lighters, and then what looked like pieces of clothing, which makes sense. Right. That's it. That that you know that as far as evidence, that's it. Yeah. Wow. So. And going back to what you were saying about the body surface area that's burned, she had, I didn't mention this when I talked about her being in the burn center. She, from the time doctors took a look at her and consulted with Dr. Hickerson, who is the director of that burn center, she had a 0% survival rate to begin with. Wow. Um. And that was because of the nature of the deep dermal burns, which indicated high, high temperatures and prolonged exposure. Right. And she, I mean, she burned on the inside and out. Let's face it. I mean, she was doused with an accelerant inside of her body. Right. And so that you're burning from the outside and the inside. And then, my gosh, the car is so flammable. You're surrounded mm-hmm. by everything inside it. I can't. Well, so two, she, her lit, her mouth, lips, and tongue were burned so severely that she could not make facial expressions. And there's a picture of her, and you can Google it. Um, it, her mouth is like fixed in an open position. She can't move it. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and but, yeah. It, it, you know, how, how do you know when she tried to speak, you know, things could not have sounded like they normally would. I mean, right. she had breathed in fire. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just, there was one thing that gave me chills that I came across. And it is the timeline from the cell phone uh, data. And at one point, it was a timestamp and it said that, her phone went off because it had gotten so hot. Like, it just when you just, it says, at 8.04 p.m., Chambers' phone, last communications ever with a cell phone tower. Investigators say it shut off when it got too hot. Like that, like that right there. Like, that just, you talk about chills. That's when I, like, that stopped me. I mean, and, it's horrific. Yeah. It's, it's absolutely horrific. It is. So, there are... There are no leads for many, many months. And um, even despite a reward that maxed out somewhere, you know, over $50,000. And if nobody in a community that small and close knit is willing to say anything for that kind of money. Yeah. You know, We've already just, described like zero economic opportunity so fifty thousand dollars that's a fortune yes unfortunately the case looks like it's 
starting to go cold. Can we take a break? Yes. Okay. Ooh, I like this song. Me too. This is my new favorite song. I think you better slow down, though. You're going kind of fast. Uh-oh, it's too late. Uh-huh. Oh, my God. It's a motorcycle cop. That reminds me. I've been listening to this new podcast called Motor Cop Chronicles Podcast. Motor Cop Chronicles? Motor Cop Chronicles. Get your mind out of the gutter. I mean, they do wear those tight pants and boots. And bike. Oh, my God. The Iceman, the host of the show, he is so hilarious. He tells all of his stories from... From people that he stopped and pulled over and crashes. He has rants that he goes on about people and and their habits and bad habits and everything. He does it in the news section. It is so funny. You're going to have to listen to it. I guess I'm going to have to check out Motor Cop Chronicles then. Yes, you are. Ma'am, I pulled you over for doing 80 and a 45. I need your driver's license, insurance, and registration, please. Okay, well, I was not going 80. I'm not here to argue with you. I need the information now. Fine. I right, stand by. I'll be right back. I wonder if that was the Iceman. I don't know, but if it was, that means we might be on his next podcast. Maybe so. All right, ma'am, I need you to sign right here. It's not admission of guilt. Just take you in to pay a citation or show up in court. All right, thank you. Drive safe. Yes, sir. You too. Oh, my God. It was the Iceman. You see right here on this ticket? He signed it, the Iceman. We are so on the next podcast. He is going to mention us. I wonder if he thought we were cute. Oh, my God. Yes. I'm definitely going to check out Motor Cop Chronicles to see if we're on there. It's so funny. About nine or ten months later, um, Quentin Tellis pops up on police's radar. Now, this is the guy that was with she and Keisha the morning of. And he had actually been questioned twice by police after it happened, like within days after it happened. He was super cooperative. He took him past a lie detector test. He willingly provided a DNA sample and was just super cooperative. And that was basically it until this nine to 10 months later, he's pops back on the radar because he's serving a, well, he's, he's charged and convicted, um, for, unauthorized use of a credit card in Monroe, Louisiana. Yes. Um, so he was actually in jail serving a 10 year sentence because I believe he left Cortland seven months after Jessica died. Oh, okay. To go to Monroe, to go to Monroe Wichita parish. Okay. So he, the girl whose credit card 
was stolen, which I mean, he admitted to, he pled guilty. Um, she was a, her name was Mandy. She was a student at the university of Louisiana at Monroe. And she had been, she, <laughs> she was also found murdered the same day that he was, um, accused of or accused and convicted of using her credit card unlawfully. She had been stabbed 34 times. Jeez. Did he ever, did you ever find where he said how he came in possession of her card? So unfortunately I don't have a ton of detail around that. I have a little detail around that. It, um, he did not, I know that he did not say that he took it from her. I believe it came to him by way of another party. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's because what you're... he, he did not, um, he, he admitted to, um, using the card. He did, he didn't admit to killing her, obviously. Um, okay. not that he had been accused of that at that time. I, I don't believe there was enough evidence to, um, even charge him with it. Okay. That, um, was that Ming, Ming Seo? Yes. Ming Chen Seo? Yeah. Okay. Yes. They called her Mandy. I didn't see that. Her nickname's okay. Mandy. Okay. That's what I she... was afraid I was going to butcher her name. <laughs> well, I went for it. So, yeah. I'm very you, sorry. You did a great job. <laughs> Good job. Well, I just, I just didn't come across Mandy. Okay. And that's, that's very cute. Yeah. So, um, Mississippi Bureau of Investigation actually goes to Monroe to question uh, Quentin on more than one occasion. And they bring in a forensics analyst uh, that prevents, pre prevents, presents him with, quote, irrefutable cell phone data that places him with Jessica Chambers most of the day and hours before and near the time of her death. Wow. So, um, the data had actually been, and it had to do with GPS too. So where Cortland is, it's, it sits between two cell phone towers. So the reception is unreliable. Okay. Um, but they also used GPS points and, um, readjusted the cell phone tower, actually the cell phone tower pings, um, which put him with her majority of the day. That's and interesting. At the, so he had initially said he didn't remember being with her after that morning. I should have said that first. He initially did not, um, give a statement that he had been with her day of and up into, um, her murder. So at that point when he's presented with this data, he, um, he said, Oh, now I remember, you know, yeah. it was that day that I was with her. Yeah. And we are talking nine to 10 months later, right? Right. So almost a year had passed. Um, I think he probably so, still would remember, but you know, okay. I mean, even though he had initially said he didn't remember being with her the day of, now he suddenly remembers. And whether or not 
exactly. I mean, we'll we'll yeah. further flesh out that cell phone data situation, but um, he also um, had previously provided an alibi saying that this guy that was known as Big Mike, he borrowed his truck um, the night of and had, you know, driven away by himself, not with Jessica Chambers. And right. we'll, we'll revisit that too. Okay. Um, but apparently they had enough. And in February of 2016, he's officially charged with the murder of Jessica Chambers. And it's all based on, um, state's evidence. Okay. Um, which is, um, we're going to, of course, unpack that too, but we, there's no witnesses, there's no confession, there's the cell phone data. And, um, actually one part that I left out earlier is the fact that, um, days after Jessica is killed, a guy is walking and finds her keys about a mile away, roughly a mile away from the scene. Okay. We're going to get into that further, right? Right. Okay. And, um, so the Mississippi crime lab does runs DNA on the set of keys. And, um, obviously Jessica's DNA is there and there are two other males that can't be identified. And then a third male, which um, is said to be by by the Mississippi Crime Lab, that Quentin Tellis cannot be excluded. It doesn't say. Okay. You know. Right. It doesn't say it's only his DNA on there. Yeah. He just can't be excluded. He can't be excluded. Obviously, he had spent time with Jessica. I'm sure he had driven her vehicle. I'm sure held her keys. It sounds like he didn't have a vehicle. And all this. Right. Okay. That's right. Okay. Okay. Um, so because he changed his story and he had a criminal history, um, he actually uh, had been convicted of burglary. Those were his most serious convictions in 2010 and 2012. It was sentenced to eight years plus probation. He was actually released from prison two months before Jessica was killed. Okay. Okay. All right. And another thing to note is, is that he and Jessica had only been like hanging out for about two weeks before she died. Okay. I did see that. Right. That was just very fresh and new. And he actually had a girlfriend. She had a boyfriend. Exactly. And then he tried to get with her a couple of times. And that girlfriend, I believe lived in Monroe. Right. They ended up getting married after that. Yeah. He did marry her too. That's right. Okay. But he kept um, trying to get with her. She kept saying no, I guess. I don't know. Right. Or or maybe not saying no, but like, oh, just kind of putting him off. But wanted money to go um, eat with him. Yeah, go to Taco Bell. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing is, you know, they they do get the cell phone records and they, they show that his texts to Jessica over the short time that they were hanging out were super sexually charged and that he was, um, constantly asking her for sex. And the thing is, is that it, you know, 
it I don't I don't know that it was entirely unwelcomed. Well, right. Um, yeah. We don't know. We, we just don't know because they they continue to see each other and hang out and um or is it uh, be friendly it kind of sounded like um both parties were trying to get with something out of it now that something could be money for food could be a ride in a car weed could, could be weed let's get high together um sex you know just it was like a mutually beneficial situation there you and, go. and to that point too um he stated that they did have sex. It was only one time during the two week period. Um, it was not the day of, and that it was in the driveway, um, of his house. Okay. Right. But, but not the day of, and, um, that, that's obviously going to play into, um, this a little further along, but so, this case is going to be very difficult to prove on state's evidence because there's no confession. There's no witness they do have the DNA, um, that he can't be excluded. The cell phone data that they realigned to fit the narrative. Okay. I- I'm sorry. I know no, that's let's... got a twinge of, um, doubt <laughs> in it. And Quinn Tellis's statements. That's it. That's what this is going to hinge on. Okay. That's interesting, though, because when you did say about the cell phone and how they ping between the two, um, I guess yep. there's one in Cortland and one in Batesville. And mm-hmm. then there's a lot of kind of in between, a lot of gray areas, they like say. Like the gray area. Right. So I can see where that could be manipulated or tweaked or stretched. Or, anyway, yeah. Well, no, I mean, there again, there's just, that's, to me, is shrouded in doubt. And again, you know, it's something that will continue to flesh out. Um, But something that I found interesting, and I may have just glaringly overlooked it in my research, but for some reason, in the process of Quentin Tellis being questioned uh, by police when he's incarcerated in Monroe, um, the the death penalty is basically taken off the table and he's facing life in prison without parole. So I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why that was. I don't know if they thought it would be easier to get a conviction, a confession or a conviction if it was life. without the possibility of parole versus death penalty, but I mean... Well, and um, did you say Monroe? Well, this was Mississippi police telling him this when he's in Monroe, incarcerated in Monroe. Well, their quest... He's incarcerated for the credit card charge, but they're they're there questioning him about Jessica. Okay. Because I believe you have to, for death penalty, and I'm not sure if I'm right about this, I believe you have to be, do you have to be committing a, a, another felony. Well, I think there's, right, there's criteria that has to be yes. met in order to. Correct. So that that probably has something to do with it. Like, I think the death has to occur at the time another felony is being committed or something like that. Right. 
So it's and just why they went for second I'm not a him. law scholar, so right. <laughs> Yeah, me neither. Yeah. But uh, I'm probably not a lot of help in that area. No, but that's, yeah. Okay, that's But that to, could yeah. very well be the case, is that it didn't meet the criteria right. for the death penalty. Okay, that makes sense. But, so, this is going to be a high-profile case. Um, so, they are going to import a jury from a town in Mississippi, or a county in Mississippi, um, with a very similar demographic to Panola County. And that county is, wait for it, Pike County. Whoa, 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 whoa. Did you, back up, did you just say very similar to the structure of Panola County? Absolutely well, not. So that it said that it was they chose Pike County because it has a similar demographic. Okay, demographic. Okay, you did say that. Okay, all right. Okay, that makes sense. I was I don't know. I was thinking comparison. Compare Pike County to Panola County, and no, you Pike, can't. No, there's no can't. comparison. Maybe no, Osaka, but not Pike is <laughs> the best. What are you talking about? <laughs> okay, so and for our listeners new new to the show. I uh, didn't listen to mentioned in an episode that we yeah. we are actually so first of all we're sisters and we are from Pike County, Mississippi. Full disclosure. Right. We covered that in Southern Cryptids part two. Yeah. Part so there's two. that. So go check that out if you haven't already. Um and another notable um tidbit is that the judge that will be presiding over the case, Judge Chatham, his father um, handled the Emmett Till case um, and which is an equally disturbing case that spurred a civil rights movement um, and a story for another time, but very notable. And, um, that's right. I forgot about that. He covered that case yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, and if you don't, if you're not familiar with Emmett Hill, it's definitely worth, um, at least looking into just a, a brief overview. It's a very tragic and sad story about a 14 year old black male that was murdered in Mississippi. Um, Horrific. And uh, his um, murderers were not found guilty, but they later did confess to killing him. And join us next time for part two of Jessica Chambers. You've been listening to Southern Discomfort with April and Christine. As you can tell, this is one of the most unique podcasts on the internet. 
so we want you to be able to reach out to us. Send emails to Southern Discomfort Podcast at gmail.com, on Facebook at Southern Discomfort Podcast, and on Instagram at Southern Discomfort PC. And for shows, visit Southern Discomfort.podbean.com. And this podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcasts. Till next time, keep one eye open because you never know what you might see. This is Southern Discomfort, signing off.